Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Light of Life podcast. I'm your host, Naomi, and today I'm here with Dana. Dana, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you very much. My name is Dana Estiaz. I am a wife, mother, a cat mom, I'm just a normal person who hangs out in my house and I write books and I do podcasting. Um, and my experience, unfortunately, is in the realm of narcissistic abuse. Um, but my story is not a sad one. It's actually one of overcoming and mm-hmm. transforming my life, actually, so that I wasn't bound to the circumstances that for a while later I thought I would be bound to. So um, that's why I'm here is to hopefully inspire some perspective and, you know, help people have hope that they can have a better life if they you know are able to safely escape their situation absolutely thank you so much dana and thank you so much for um being willing to share your story this is of course this is something that is um we don't i feel like we don't talk about enough it is a really big problem you know like you have gone through uh lots of trauma and um and you know um so i wanted my first question for you is when did you come to the realization that um that you were um um that it was narcissistic abuse you were going through um you know the sad part is it it took a long time um, a long time. Obviously, when I, I experienced it in childhood and in my previous marriage, which I was with him for 25 years. So you would think that coming out of a childhood filled with abuse that I would have seen all the signs and heeded all the warnings and not fallen into that. And that was certainly my intent, you know, but as a child, obviously, I was physically and verbally abused. I knew it was wrong. It, it I stood up for myself, but the more I stood up for myself, the more I suffered the consequences. So I learned to be quiet. Um, I didn't know what a narcissist was, though. I was just a kid. You know, Mm -hmm. all I knew is it was wrong. And this person was intentionally choosing to cause me harm and basically diminish me to nothing. And that's what I left that home feeling. And I think that's what set me up. Um, to be then in a 25 year long relationship to somebody I even married, even though, you know, every sign was there. But again, I didn't know what a narcissist was. We didn't talk about narcissism back then like we do today. It's actually a term that's used a little too loosely now, um, even in situations where people might have narcissistic qualities but aren't narcissistic. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the narcissists that I have come upon in my life are not the ones that you can tolerate or laugh at or, you know, agree with, you know, Mm because some of them really do look as good as they think. And some of them really are as smart as they think. But I'm talking about the narcissists that are actually, you know, they're bullies and they're abusive. And that is a problem. Um, But it actually was at the very end, the tail end of that 25 year relationship to my ex husband, when I went to finally get an order of protection after a few domestic violence situations that I realized what it was. And I, I think I was so, I just couldn't believe it myself because of everything I'd been through in my childhood. And 
it's not like I didn't see it happening, but having to fill out that application for the order of protection and check those boxes, I actually remember rereading them because I'm like, no, no, this isn't, this isn't abuse, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I went through it and I'm, no, I checked every box. Yes, these things did happen. And I think that they just, you know, make you feel like everything's your fault. Um, I was the ultimate scapegoat, you know, everything was blamed on me. I should have just not said this or done that. And then I wouldn't have, you know, suffered what I suffered. So it took a long time to kind of let, you know, let that sink in and, and to realize that, okay, not only did I, I mean, I certainly didn't allow the abuse as a child, but leaving my childhood home thinking I'd never let anyone do that to me again, um, it, it was a hard pill to swallow to realize that for 40 some years of my life, yeah, I, I've been abused. Wow. My, wow. I just, I, I can't imagine like going, uh, realizing all the, first of all, realizing all the trauma you went through, um, when, 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 when you probably had it blocked out for a long time and then you came to the realization, uh, of all the abuse you went through, it's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it is hard for even me to believe looking back because I mean, in my relationship, I mean, even within a few weeks of just starting dating, you know, things he said didn't sound right. They were definitely red flags. He had angry outbursts. Um, that were extremely unreasonable for the things that happened. Um, um, just a lot of things were happening and it just kind of, it's like he kept pushing the bounds as time went on. But I mean, you would think that when somebody swings a crowbar at your head, when somebody oh is God. saying that they want you dead, when somebody is shooting a gun and keeping a knife next to him to keep you in line, you know, so you don't say or do anything, you know, and, and make you submit because you're so fearful for your life. And then you have a kid you're trying to protect. You would think in your head that you would, you would acknowledge that, yes, I am, I am in an abusive situation. But for me, I, it sounds silly, but I just kept thinking I'm just in a bad marriage. It's just a really dysfunctional relationship. It was definitely toxic. Mm -hmm. I understood that. And, but I think that I'm not the only one, though. I think that unless you're walking around with black eyes and, you know, kind of looking disheveled mm -hmm. and unkept, like people don't really equate that with abuse, even us as victims. So I just thought, okay, well, he never actually made contact with me, so it can't be abuse. But it is abuse. The manipulation, mm -hmm. the gaslighting, the intimidation, stalking, monitoring the phone and the computer all these things not to mention there's financial abuse you know controlling finances where in my case he was spending money before it came in and bouncing checks and I couldn't make money fast enough he was taking out credit cards in my name he would he drained his 401k um, he drained our home equity. He was using all this money without my knowledge even. So we had nothing. I was going to the food pantry. I was taking hand-me-down clothes for me and my son, um, you know, which I'm not ashamed of. But, you know, financial abuse is a real abuse. And I think mm -hmm. that in a lot of cases, I've met people that were abused in the opposite way where they're restricted, which actually I was also restricted from being on his account. He 
wanted separate accounts for money. Everything was 50-50 until he decided he didn't want to work. And then it was all on me to pay the bills, but he helped himself to my bank account. I just didn't have access to his. So it, it kind of with a narcissist, everything is theirs, mm -hmm. including you, honestly, because you're sort of a prisoner to it. You know, they make it mm -hmm. very hard for you to escape. And I've met other victims as well that have undergone sexual abuse. And I had some situations, unfortunately, in my marriage and, and people say, well, it can't be sexual abuse if you're married well yes it can because if you don't want somebody doing something to your mm -hmm. body yeah it's abuse it's yes. a violation mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things that happen and that's what makes the narcissistic abuse so much more traumatic because like in my childhood it was physical and verbal and honestly and i mean no disrespect to victims of physical abuse that have undergone horrific things but I would take the physical over the verbal any day because the physical I'm not affected by. I'm going to be 48 in two months. The physical mm -hmm. abuse happened. It sucked, but I'm healed. This, you know, I have scars, bru bruises are gone, whatever. It's gone. It's done. But the verbal, those tapes play in my head still at almost 48 years old and get me, you know, in, in some low places some days. It's, it's a real... It's a real harmful thing to do somebody to somebody mm -hmm. but then in my marriage with the narcissistic abuse it's not just physical or verbal it's all this other stuff and so you're getting it from all directions and it just makes it that much more traumatic but no matter what anybody has experienced you know we don't want to compare anybody's experiences pain is pain trauma is trauma and we're all just trying to help each other along at this point mm -hmm. yes yes Oh my gosh, like, I, I can imagine this must have really deeply impacted your mental health. Um, yes. Um, um, how has this impacted your mental health and how did you yeah. seek help? <laughs> it was a long struggle. I mean, I remember being 10, 9, 10 years old and having just depression I mean mm -hmm. and the anxiety um when you're in an abusive situation you're hyper vigilant and for people that have never been in this it's so awful because the hyper vigilance is like you walk in a room and you're like surveying everything and you're trying to determine if there's a threat you notice who's there what they've done to you, you have all these things going through your mind, you're noticing their body language, you're, you're noticing the, the words that they're using, their verbiage, you're noticing their eyes, you're no, like everything, any shift in energy makes you a little nervous, you just don't know what you're dealing with. So you're constantly like hyper aware of what is going on, because you want to adjust yourself. Like if, if you walk in and that person who abuses you had a bad day, boy, you better fly under the radar. You better be like a little mouse that nobody sees and nobody hears because you don't want to provoke anything. Mm. If they're in a good mood, okay, great. Well, you don't want to do anything to affect that. You want to keep them in a good mood, you know? So it's this constant, I mean, talk about being anxious you are constantly anxious you can't even sleep at night because every little creak and sound you worry that they got out of bed and they're coming for you it's mm -hmm. awful so i i mean this happened from childhood on into my marriage so i always had this 
major anxiety and when you're that anxious yeah you get depressed you wonder like am I here to suffer like why do I even exist then we could get into spiritual talk about that or or not but you really I mean there were many points in my life that I was never suicidal but where I absolutely did not want to live anymore because I was just suffering I was in so much pain and I just didn't want to be in pain anymore so you know, that part of the mental health is really the worst part is Mm -hmm. just feeling so insignificant and so unworthy and so undeserving because whether they tell you those things or whether just the abuse itself makes you feel that way, which it it usually does, it's a terrible way to be out in the world. You know, you, you, you have all these after effects of it. You're insecure. You have low self-esteem. You don't think very much of yourself. So some people, you know, don't even accomplish, you know, anything, career, education, different paths to their full potential because they don't think that they have the ability to. They're made to think they're incompetent mm. and, and incapable. And it just it really just goes into every area of your life. And this is why so many people also fall into addictions. I fortunately, you know, never, I mean, I've never even smoked a cigarette, never did recreational drugs. I mean, now I'm an adult. Yeah, I'll have a glass of wine here and there, but I never fell into addictions like I've seen some people fall into. And honestly, I don't judge because there were times that I wished, I wished that I could get addicted to something so that I didn't feel the pain because it takes Mm -hmm. away that pain, it numbs you, or it it just makes everything a blur. So it it can have such a terrible impact. And then there's the worst part of it, which, you know, there are people that do commit suicide. And, you know, I I don't even, there's nothing to say about that. Obviously, if you're responsible for making somebody feel that low, that they really don't want to live and take their life, it, it, it makes me so sad you know, but Mm -hmm. that's where we get to in our heads. And um, so obviously we want to prevent that as much as we can by creating this awareness, but the healing, honestly, there's nothing anybody can say or do for somebody that's been a victim of abuse or domestic violence. They have to make the decision themselves. And, you know, for me, I knew I didn't want to be obviously in my childhood home I got out of there the second I turned 18 and could legally be out in the world because I didn't want any part of it but my previous marriage you know even that's a little tricky I wanted out for 15 years before I actually got out 15 years that's a long time to live with somebody especially somebody who wants you dead and has said such and I have emails and text messages saying that so um it's hard, but you know, you can't just walk away. Sometimes you don't have the financial ability to walk away. Or, you know, we had a son and he was using our son as as a threat to hold me there, saying that, you know, he would make sure everybody would think I'm an unfit mother. And he told me he would lie and, and ensure I'd never see my son again. And that scared the hell out of me. So I stayed because I thought at least if I stayed, I could be with my son every day and protect him and take care of him and ensure we were together. But um, it did take me actually, it wasn't until I actually got physically sick from the abuse. Um, In 2018, I started feeling really sickly. I dropped down to 93 pounds. I was skeletal. I couldn't breathe. My body, just nothing was working. Nothing. 
my vision was going double and blurry and blacking out. My heart was all over the place. I was having digestive issues, muscular issues. I was tested for almost every autoimmune disease. And they came to find out that it was cortisol, the stress hormone that had been running through my body for so long at such high rates that it actually did make me autoimmune um, mm. because my body thought it was fighting something and it was just fighting the cortisol, but it thought it had to eradicate itself. So all my white blood cells were killing each other off. My red blood cell count even fell you know, dangerously low. And my doctor said I was at the point that a common cold could kill me and I developed a lung issue. And all of this was from quote unquote stress. So <laughs> that's when I finally decided when the doctor told me at the end of 2019 that my body was shutting down. It was doing everything it could just to breathe and keep my heart beating. I thought, okay, enough is enough. I, if I, I don't put myself first and get myself out of this, nobody else is either. So that's when I finally made a plan um, and consulted with an attorney for the sixth time. Um, and it's unfortunate. I have discovered since then that most victims of domestic violence or abuse consult with an attorney seven times before actually leaving. And it was not even the sixth attorney that I filed for divorce with. I still had to wait through COVID. And so the seventh attorney is actually the one that um, got me divorced. But I always tell people the divorce, it definitely is a small victory, but it does not end the relationship. It is just a piece of paper that divides your assets, your finances. Um, but if you're lucky enough to get to that point, you still have to deal with the relationship. And in my case, as I'm finding as well, in many other cases of abuse, um, my ex actually became the most violent after the divorce, um, making more serious attempts at my life. So I am here. It's been actually not quite three years. We're just sh uh, a few days shy of the three-year mark since the last violent situation with him. Um, but I'm still standing and I'm here and I'm just not afraid anymore. So I am speaking out for all the other people who can't, who are still mm -hmm. in those situations and, you know, to let them know that my life in just three short years has completely turned around and it's really, really good. And I had thought I was going to possibly die. I thought that I was stuck. I thought I was just, there was nowhere for me to go. I, I was just, it was just always going to be that way. But I am here to tell you, I am happily remarried to a longtime friend who actually treats me very nicely like a princess and reciprocates the love and the respect that I give to him. And we have a healthy relationship, which I wasn't even sure I was capable of because so often we victims or survivors, as the case may be, think we're broken or damaged mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe the mental health will get in the way. Maybe my CPTSD will get in the way. And yeah, you have a few hiccups but if you're in a healthy relationship with somebody that does not mm -hmm. define you by those things that you've been through and by what other people have done to you you can actually have a really healthy relationship and I have to say I, I'm so grateful you know that 
he is who he is and that we're together and that I can have love and that, you know, finally after, you know, a whole life of always looking for it outwardly, but I had to love myself first to get myself Mm -hmm. out of that, to find this love, you know, in a marriage and, you know, being with somebody who is kind and who speaks positively to me and, and, it kind of helps me with my own self-talk and my own healing process because I'm more able to heal and like self-regulate when I get triggered, things like that. When I have somebody that doesn't treat me like there's something wrong with me, if that makes any sense. It's very different from the rest of my life when I've always been talked down to and insulted and demeaned and told what I couldn't do and what I'll never do and what I'll never be and that nobody would love me. And this person is like, no, you're going to do it. You can't, you know, just basic support, which a lot of people might take for granted, but there are a lot of us that never had that. So it, it helps us to be in a better mind space to be able to build our self-esteem up enough so that we can take on the healing process in, in, you know, in a better way, because it's a nasty, nasty thing to go through healing. It's not fun. It's painful. It's Mm -hmm. almost worse than, you know, the original trauma Mm -hmm. because you're diving into it and you're diving deeper. You can't ignore it. Um, so yeah, it Mm -hmm. takes a toll on you and it affects everybody around you as well. But I think if you're if you are surrounded by people who are on that path with you and encouraging you, you can definitely get there. I mean, I think even from a year ago to now, I'm in such a better place, you know, where things that I might have things that I might have been crying in fetal position in the corner a year ago aren't affecting me. I can just say, "Okay, that bothers me. I don't like that, but life goes on. I'm not going to yeah. let it you know, affect how I, I act or, or affect my day, I can just move past it and say, okay, and I'm going to keep it over there. And I'm going to set that boundary of who has access to me and who I allow to affect me and what I'm going to give energy and time to and what I'm not. Yes. You mentioned so many uh, things about trauma that um, are really important to bring awareness to. Um, anyone who's like gone through a traumatizing any traumatizing like situations um, um, it's it's most likely um, due to the severity of it it will like you said it will most likely impact you for the rest of your life um, um, and I'm really glad you mentioned um, like um, with um, um, exp- having PTSD and experiencing so much trauma um it it's really sad but you are at a much higher risk of developing lots of mental health issues like going into addiction and drugs and alcohol um yeah um yeah it's it's and and i'm so glad you also mentioned um the 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 healing process it's very difficult it is because you have to really get all dig dig deep for all those memories that have you have really suppressed for a very long time yes yes I yes I totally understand that I'm glad you brought that up too Mm -hmm. because that was something that I 
<laughs> I had always read, I studied psychology in college because I'd always kind of wanted to help myself and also help other victims. That was always a part of my mindset. Mm -hmm. But what surprised me was that they do say that things can be so traumatic that you forget them, like you black them out. And so I had always, like, I'm one of these people, like, I play Candy Crush or Bejeweled or do these, like, memory games to keep your memory sharp. But, like, I was being so badly gaslighted. Like, everything, everything I said, like, I thought this happened or I heard this person say this was negated. I never said that. That never happened. You're crazy. You know, all these things. And for so many years, so I started keeping a notebook in, it was 2018 or 2019, around the same time I got sick. And I started writing down ex right after they happened, the things that, that were happening to me, or this was said or what, so I'd remember. So I'd have an accurate record um, and if I had a witness, it was even better because I'd be like, did you hear that? Did you see that? Like, you know, just checking my memory and making sure I wasn't delusional like I was being told. But when I went back, I, I mean, my book that I wrote that that is out now um, is actually a collection of the stories that came out of that notebook. But when I was going through the notebook to write this book to elaborate on the on the all these things that happened, there were things that I read. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. Like, but I'm reading them thinking, how, how could I forget that? That was huge. Like that was, I mean, some things, I mean, I, I can honestly say I have heard stories from other victims and survivors that are so much more horrific than mine. They're just afraid to speak up. So I'm speaking up about my experience, but Still, there were things that were said to me and happened to me that I just, they did affect me so deeply and I just don't understand. You know, it's funny how our brain works to protect us, mm -hmm. to block those things out. But having that record that I wrote in that journal, I just couldn't believe some of the things that I, I had actually forgotten. Mm -hmm. And there are things even now, sometimes I'm like, did you know am I remembering everything did I remember everything and I don't know I guess it's just I want to make sure I've dealt with it all you know what I mean mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely that's something I uh, went through I, I I still kind of have amnesia where I just don't remember really anything from like 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 before I got really sick <laughs> and right yeah I, I still have it. Like I still have so many memories that are just suppressed. Um, and so, yeah. um, yeah. So I, I understand like, you know, with, with, with trauma, you know, your, your brain actually, I've discovered recently your brain tries, um, your brain wants to protect you. And so it's blocked out so many of the memories. Um, um, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it affects your actual, I don't know what the exact word is, but I've seen these studies and I've seen the pictures. I always encourage people to look into it. It actually, abuse actually does even bullying as a form mm -hmm. of, it, it is a minor yeah. form of abuse, mm -hmm. not that it's minor in any way, but I mean, they show pictures of children that grow up in let's call it normal and healthy environments versus abuse you know abusive environments 
abuse and stress actually shrinks your brain and it changes the chemical makeup so that like it affects your reasoning it affects memory like people don't realize you know like when I think it's insulting when people say let it go or get past yeah, it I believe me I'm not trying to hold on to this crap I'm trying, <laughs> like nobody wants to carry this yeah, with them no but your brain is literally literally changed mm-hmm. by the abuse and by the stress and we then as victims and survivors have the burden and the responsibility to ourselves to try to manage the symptoms of that you know and and it's not easy and it's not Mm -hmm. nobody I mean do you really think any of us want to be triggered I mean or even have to you know deal with like you said not remembering things or sometimes Mm -hmm. for me the things I remember I remember vividly and they kind of replay in my head I ruminate over and over and over like it's like the tape is stuck in the VCR and it if you're you might be too young for VCRs but it's like the DVD keeps playing over and over and over and you just can't get it out of your head because it just it was so disturbing to your peace and to your soul and who you are that you can't you can't let it go it it's an awful awful thing and you know what gets me most is that these people that have done this to us mm-hmm. they don't suffer any consequences you're lucky if you can get somebody jailed for what they've done but usually unless you have some major physical uh trauma or handicap as a result of the abuse you'll never get justice mm-hmm. wow yeah I've um um I've gone through a lot of medical trauma. I have a lot of I've had a lot of medical complications. I've had like a lot of open heart surgeries and oh, um and so that's where uh that's where my trauma is from. I've been like it took me a long time to like not be scared of doctors anymore and to like yes. not be scared of the hospital. Uh because I spent a lot of my uh time there especially when I was like 14 15 that was when my heart was like failing from my congenital heart defect um and so that's uh those are the traumatizing situations I have gone through um and um like um I would have I would have nightmares about the hospital is that something you've experienced as well Yeah, I definitely had some issues with, you know, the medical community, so to speak. Um, You know, I I, I didn't have any, you know, I I had one surgery that I can remember in my life when I was a kid. But I mean, to this day, I remember it being traumatic, you know, when they strapped my legs and arms down, you know, and then they put the mask over my, I, I mean... It, it, yeah, I'm going to be 48, like I said, and I still, I just remember the horror yeah. I felt. I was so frightened, so frightened. And now as an adult, you know, with, after having gotten sick from, you know, the abuse, I think my issues are more trust issues with doctors because, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to say something that I just say what it is. I'm just saying from my experience, so if there's any nurses or doctors out there, don't get offended. But in my experience where I am living geographically and what I've been through, unless you need a Band-Aid or a Z-Pack, 
the emergency room, the hospital, medical professionals, specialists have not helped me in any way. If anything, they have dismissed me. And so I don't trust them. I don't want to go to the doctor when I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, I have two doctors that I feel that I can trust more than the others because they actually take the time to listen to me. You know, even a couple years ago, I was insistent. I was having a terrible pain and I was insistent. Oh, you're fine. You're just hypersensitive. You're a hypochondriac. That's what all the doctors said. Well, guess what? I had a polyp in my gallbladder because I finally got a doctor to do a scan and they said, where's the problem? Where do you hurt? I literally put my finger right on it. Mm -hmm. They scanned it. They said, oh, oh, yeah. But yeah. if I would have just listened to all the other doctors, so mine is more trust issues. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I'm sorry, my cat is oh, it's okay. over here. <laughs> She's coughing. She's a little baby. Um, but she, I think I'm her support human, but she supports me too. She's sweet. She always has to be next to me. So I'm never lonely. Um, but yeah, I think that everybody has, you yeah. know, no matter what your trauma is, you're going to have that because that's, yes. that's part of like the post-traumatic stress is mm -hmm. after the stressful situation, you're going to have the nightmares, the yeah. thoughts that, you know, maybe like for me, the distrust and, you know, it makes you nervous. It makes you anxious. It makes you all the same things of anyone else in any traumatic situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can also relate to the trust part. It's, it's difficult for me to, uh, to be able to trust because like um, when I was like first in heart failure uh, we were told that there was absolutely nothing to be done and that uh, I just had to go to comfort care and that really uh, that like uh, thankfully that didn't have that didn't happen because we went and got a second opinion but it really uh, affected me uh, like like, yeah. like hearing those words, it really affected me and it made oh, me realize like, it's you got to be careful. It's a limiting yeah. belief. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, let's be real. You know, I try to be reasonable. Like I can, I do appreciate that med medicine is a practice. Mm -hmm. I, I completely understand that, but it's hard for me, like in your situation when somebody is just not even trying and there are situations you know there are situations medically that somebody absolutely cannot be helped and i get that but mm -hmm. even yeah. for me it was like you know all these doctors that said oh you're a hypochondriac you're hypersensitive okay guess what i have a lung disease i'm autoimmune that's not hypochondriac and hyper hypersensitive mm -hmm. Those are real things that I needed an oxygen machine to breathe. You know, Me COVID too. came along right after my diagnosis. If I would have just thought I was a hypochondriac, I might have been dead. I might yeah. have not taken the precautions that I took during COVID and I might be dead right now. So I just, yeah, I mean, I think people do the best they can do. And I, I envy people that are in, you know, like... I, I am 90 miles from Chicago. I wish it were closer that I could, you know, get a little more uh, of the advanced uh, and progressive medical communities up there to handle my situation. But unfortunately, in the small town rural area that I'm in, um, 
there's not much available for somebody that has, I mean, I kind of call myself a little special needs because the regular doctors and, and, and the doctors in these hospitals here just uh, are not equipped, nor do they have the knowledge, you know, to handle something that is not uh, typical, you know. So they got to reach a little further and not every doctor is willing to do that. So mm-hmm. yeah, makes it hard for people like us. Yes. But we're but we're here and we're yeah. doing well. So we are doing. You know, well. we have to we have to help ourselves along, and I think that's what, you know, it's kind of a survivor mentality versus a victim mentality. Is that okay? Somebody somebody tried to limit you and your life. People have tried to hold me back, but look, look at us living to our full potential. Look at us pushing past those restrictions that those mm-hmm. people put on us. Because mm-hmm. we know that we're capable of more and we want more for ourselves. So it really comes back to just people fighting for themselves and finding whatever it is. You know, people call it self-love. I call it self-respect. But whatever it is, you just have to be your own advocate and just make sure that whatever it is you want, don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Am I ever going to be an astronaut or a neurosurgeon? No, I thought about those things when I was like in fourth grade, but <laughs> I'm not, you don't want me working on your brain, trust me, nor do I want to go into space, but you know, but I am, I am doing good in my own right, just like you are. So yes. that's what people need to focus on. Yes. I think you just made a really good point. Uh, we are both survivor stories um, and I I hope this can be a message that um, there's always hope for people yes. in any kind of situation. So Dana, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, you're, I think you're going to help a lot of people who've been in traumatizing situations. Um, what advice do you have to anyone who's experienced abuse or has gone through other trauma? I think the best advice that I like to give, because I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I can certainly refer people to those resources if they need them. But I think number one, you have to keep yourself safe. Not everybody, especially in a domestic violence situation or an abuse situation, it may not be safe for you to leave. So you are the only person who can determine you know, whether it's safe for you to leave and, and, and what the situation is, if there's kids involved or pets or, or any other people. But beyond that, anybody who's experienced trauma, abuse, anything, bullying, um, anything that's affected them to the core, I think if you take care of yourself, I mean, certainly, you know, look to therapy I am not a fan of traditional talk therapy personally, but for me, um, writing therapy um, through somebody who actually has been through child abuse and abusive situations, um, who really understood and actually got it was most effective for me. Um, Because I just think it's really important. This is something people don't understand unless they've been through it. So that worked for me, but there's art therapy, music therapy. There's so many different options available to people where they can release these burdens from themselves, um, you know, in a way that's healthy, but not everybody can afford therapy. So that's why I go back to what my advice is, is self-care. That is key. 
because even before you take on therapy, you want to be in the best headspace to be able to deal with what you're going to dive into because it's not fun and it's very scary and it's painful and you're going to go through a lot of emotions. So by self-care, I'm talking little tangible things and they're going to be personal and different and unique to every individual. For me, because with narcissists, they dictate everything you should wear, everything you eat, everything you do, everything you say, everything. It was something as simple as when I was finally divorced and alone and I had control over the TV, I love horror movies. So I sat down and I got ice cream and popcorn and whatever and indulged myself. And I watched a movie I wanted to watch. It sounds silly. It sounds simple. But you know what? That brought my heart so much joy. Mm -hmm. It made me feel authentic. I was being authentic and real. I love the color red. I painted my nails red. I painted my toenails red. I wore what I wanted to wear. I listen to music I that that I like and if I wanted to dance while I was cooking I did it so this is what I call self-care and these are the things everybody can do if there's a book you've been wanting to read get the book you can't afford it go to the library and request it read the book watch the movie do the things that make you happy you know even if you're not Mm -hmm. going anywhere today you might not want to leave your house for five days Put your makeup on, do your hair, put on a cute, why not? If it makes you feel good, that is taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So take care of you, no matter who you are, where you are, what your circumstance is, because that is a good start to finding yourself again and, you know, being able to heal from whatever has traumatized you. Wow, that's some really wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I would just say if there is anybody that is in a situation, um, this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, but I also believe it's Abuse Awareness Month because abuse and domestic violence oftentimes go hand in hand. Um, But I just want people to be safe more than anything. Um, And I know there are people in abusive situations that are not really receptive to other people's opinions of it, or, you know, you may know somebody, but not really know what their situation is. All I ask is to make sure to, you know, just care enough to keep an eye on people and let them know that you're there. Um, If you are in a situation and you can go on your computer or on your phone without being monitored, go to my website, danasdiaz.com. I have a quiz there that you can determine based on the questions if you are in an abusive situation. And certainly um, you can reach out to me by email or social media if you need extra resources um, to be able to help you in your situation. Wow, thank you, Dana. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your story and bringing awareness to abuse. This is something that is really something I I just don't think we talk about this enough. And um, so thank you for bringing awareness to such um, a topic that really needs to have awareness brought to it. Thank you. It does. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me share that information. I really appreciate it. (laughs) 